0: Welcome to Mediation Today, a program brought to you by Vesna Satsičanin, a Canberra lawyer and mediator. Every episode introduces an experienced Australian mediator to talk about mediation training, development, ethics and practice. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the ACT land, the Ngunnawal people. Good morning, dear listeners. In today's episode, my guest is Josephine Burns-Luna a mediator and counsellor from Sydney. Hello, Josephine, and thank you for accepting my invitation for this interview.
1: Thanks so much. It was an absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Josephine is the owner of Achieving Solutions Counselling and Mediation Services, which she commenced in 2007, and now has a base office in Camden, Southwest Sydney, and occasionally in the Sydney CBD. Josephine has been working in the counselling space particularly with relationships, children, parenting and families, since the inception of her practice. After completing collaborative law training in the family law area and then becoming a nationally accredited mediator, Josephine began focusing more on the family law and towards resolutions, particularly with parenting plans and parenting arrangements. Josephine has a focus on the family and children's needs and works with families to encourage harmony in the process and the inclusion of children's voices wherever possible. Josephine, I would like to start this interview with a broader question about you and your choice to work as a counselor and mediator and your focus on families. How did you come across of this area of practice and how did you decide to become accredited as a mediator? Tell us a bit about that, please.
1: Thanks so much, Fesna, and thank you for a um, beautiful um, opening about me. Well, that's pretty much my life. Um, how did I come across this area of practice? Well, my initial route started in the government and probably before mediation was even you know, was required to be accredited. Back then, we're uh, an uh, independent was required you were just called with, from another department to go and sit in on interviews or sit in on discussions with uh, in relation to work 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 matters or where there was a work dispute you were from another hr department required to go in as the uh, independent and sitting on the meeting and and in effect mediated out between the parties but there was no accreditation there so that's sort of where it started and that was back in the 80s but we won't do any maths okay about that age And I've always found that my work has always been around people. I love people. I've worked with people. We all work with people, but that's been my focus. And I recall when I was working in government for a long time, and whilst there was specific um, focus on service delivery, policy, legislation, administration, statistics, KPIs, while I all did that, you know, projected forward and work in those policy and planning areas and the front line, even though that was what they wanted, I found myself always reflecting on, that's great. What will the people think and feel? Because they're the ones to deliver the services, and what about the ones to receive the services? What are we focusing on the people's views um, and, and how it's going to work rather than the numbers?" So I've always had a focus on people above and beyond everything else. I understand that, you know, there's got to be numbers and statistics and KPIs and everything, but there needs to be a focus on people in order to achieve that. And I found that was a missing link. So I felt pleased that I was able to sort of bring that into a lot of work that I did. What about the people? What about the people? see eyes roll around the room and think, Josephine's here.
0: <laughs> I and whose whose eyes were you rolling, managers?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, sort of senior managers and those around the room that where their focus was numbers.
0: They yeah, that's number right.
1: People, we just have to get the numbers, the numbers. And I said, but it's, you forget, it's the people that get you those numbers. So unless there's a focus on them, you're never going to get your numbers, and you can't go out there you know raving i want this i want this it has to change without putting the investment in people
0: Hmm. and then you turned your focus on those more let's say narrowly defined relationship um, sphere and it would be the family i mean it's huge but then you focused on families children and their needs and relationships tell us about that
1: i did i my practice i started my practice in 2007 and so the last 14-plus years, I've found found it's grown organically, Besma, and taken me on a journey of expansion, growth, and wonder. Um, I've worked in a number of areas. I've worked with with careers, children, relationships, professionals, careers, parenting. I've worked with people from all walks of life, and I've truly enjoyed it, Uh, focusing on them, focusing on a positive pathway forward. Over the last couple of years, there's been an increasing of my work with children and parenting, parenting plans, as you said, collaborative practice in the family law jurisdiction. Did some more studies in family therapy, and I found myself working more with family breakdown on a number of levels. Families that were broken down that weren't at the point of breaking and were able to repair them and repair Send them on another path where they could stay together and continue their journey and with all the tools they required to continue successfully. Then I worked with families where there was no reconciliation, but we were still able to work together to a positive pathway. And since then, um, you know, then I became a nationally accredited mediator a few years ago um, and it contributed, I found, naturally to my counselling practice. Then I continued to become a Family Dispute Resolution practitioner and then uh, recently the Parenting Coordination um, mm. Program, which is becoming more... It's very, very big in America and becoming more and more here in Australia.
0: And, and that um, actually... Sorry, they, um, that actually leads me to um, a question that, uh, that we sort of discussed in preparation for our program. In your own words, uh, you say that... Uh, it has become clear to you that um, there is perhaps a diminishing importance of children and their needs to sustain the parent-child relationship. And and you focus on that as well. So I'd really like to hear about that.
1: Yeah, look, my focus is the children. There is a diminishing importance of their needs and they need to sustain the parent-child relationship where possible. Okay. It isn't always possible. You can't force it to happen. Uh, so there's still varying circumstances that this can happen. If we can work with it, I will. Uh, it is a very important part of my work and I truly believe and had much success in considering the voice of the children throughout the family dispute resolution process, especially when a parenting plan is being developed. And there needs to be an increase in a child-focused approach. There's growing support nationally and internationally for the inclusion of children when it comes to family law matters. And perhaps the loudest is the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, which was adopted in the late 80s and has since become the most widely ratified human rights convention in the world. And in 2009, I understand the, the UN Committee of the Rights of the Child clarified that the convention required state parties to implement legislation concerning separation and divorce to include the right of the child to be heard decision-making and mediation processes. And here in Australia, you know, uh, either the Family Law Act de- dedicates considerable attention to the children. It's a whole, a whole part of the Act on children. Then further to this in the 90s, it was spearheaded again by professional, Professor Jen MacDonald and several of her colleagues who have been working and researching and developing in a number of areas of the inclusion of children's voices in family dispute process finding the children's voice in the process, it works to focus the process on the best interests of the children, because that's the paramount consideration and needs to be when parents are discussing and considering issues relating to children's care, ongoing arrangements, and facilitating parenting arrangements that supports their children's psychological adjustment to the separation. The children are not present, of course, in the family dispute resolution process. So any of the information about the child is often provided by the parents. There's not here in there lies the issue because the parents often are emotionally charged and the interest of the child can get lost in that. There's increasing use of the demand for child-inclusive consultants now where they interview the child with both parents' consent and then have a collaborative meeting with the parents and the consultant or the mediator and talk to the parents about what they discovered in their journey with the interview with the children, how the children are feeling about the family breakdown, where they are, how they see things, and what they would like.
0: And Josephine, where do they set an age limit, like the lower age limit? I mean, it's clear that a child of five years of age can reasonably nicely articulate what they feel. What do you say about that?
1: I'm not sure that in the Act there's an actual age, but um, across a lot of the work by Professor Jen McIntosh, school-age children is usually the the time or when a child consultant or therapist in the family dispute resolution process will begin to work with a child of school age Mm. up until then, um, you know, until, of course, the law comes in then at, at 18. Until a child is 18 years of age for a parenting plan, so usually about school age. Right? Sometimes I personally with children just outside of school age, but toddlers and babies no, because they don't have, they don't have that. They haven't developed that decision making or able to differentiate out of there, and they do rely on their mm. parents. So we go back to, uh, we go back to the child experts in the cycle psycho- in, in psychology to to rely on that and what's needed, mm. because we have to remember that. To raise a child that does take two parents, and they need that love and bond from both. It's very, very important in sustaining their development in life.
0: Dear listeners, in today's episode, I'm talking to Josephine Burns Luna. Josephine, one of the most important messages you have for people you're working with is that litigation is not the only and primary way of resolving even the most bitter of disputes in the family law area. And I agree with you wholeheartedly as a practising mediator. Could you please tell us and tell our listeners why families should think about mediation before going to court?
1: Thanks, Visna. There's lots of reasons, but I suppose the most recent is the changes to the family law legislation since 2021, where the Federal Circuit Court and the Family Court merged together and there's been some changes in the legislation where it's now a requirement that all parties must genuinely attempt family dispute resolution uh, outside the court before they can be considered to be heard in the court, unless, of course, there's some extenuating circumstances where that's not possible. There are great benefits to um, having parties mediate disputes outside of court it allows that there's lots of reasons and the most obvious is time and cost but it also now allows and the way the family dispute resolution and I do in my practice and I'm sure you do better and many people is we take time with people we have more time to work with people Um, and that to to gather the information and the people around them that they need to work to a resolution for their property or their family and parenting matters. It allows the family dispute resolution practitioner time to assess whether they're ready to go through the processes um, because we have to be emotionally ready. As a mediator, we have to be satisfied that our client is uh, emotionally ready and has had the uh, information that they need and provided the advice they need legally or otherwise to... To be in a position to make an informed decision. There's nothing uh, worse than going in and making a decision about your future, your parenting, your children, your property, your assets, when you're not 100% fully informed, you can't make an informed decision. Mm. Um, uh, it is. It is that. Uh, it's just, it's just becoming more and more obvious over the years that not all cases have to be enough up in court and be bitterly, litigated. There are so many more mutually beneficial and collaborative processes that can be, and can and will benefit the client financially. It's a lot cheaper than going through the court process because legally to battle, battle something at, um, in, in the court is very expensive. And then there's the emotional drain because it's just we, we have no, we have no control on the time frame. It's, the, it's at the at at the mercy of the courts. Then we have the financial, the emotional, the social, because you can't continue, as there's that feeling of loss, and you lose the power. With mediation, you have it's your decision it's the, both the parties coming together and the, the decisions are yours they're not imposed by a third party is, you own the decision you lose control often when it goes to... and on
0: that uh, on that point i just wanted to say that it is such a aha uh-huh moment every time i go back to basics and say to parties when they get you know get a little bit heated hey this is your process you are really genuinely honestly, in control. It really makes them think and and sort of adjust in their behavior. Do you find that?
1: Yes, I think if you bring them back to the process and follow the process and remind them this is, they own this, the outcome's them. And often I remind them that this, it's the issue you're arguing over, not each other. Mm. You have to, once you resolve this issue and come to agreement, to a resolution on it, that issue can go away, and so can the argument.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for the end, I have devoted a little bit of time to talk about something that is really important for, for us as practicing mediators. It's a special question for you as a counsellor and of course an experienced mediator, the importance of health and well-being for mediators. It would be great if you could give our colleagues some insights into this important area for each and every one of us and how you see the health and well-being being important for us.
1: Thanks, It's another topic close to my heart and I always believe because I've looked after my mental health and well-being I've been able to stay in practice for 14 years and not inadvertently burn out. Um, I think if we have a look at the public health situation we had to face over the last two years, we've, many of us in Australia have had to face so many challenges. challenges. Uh, you know, some of us working, some of us not working, then the pressure of juggling, homeschooling, trying to run a business. We've had more pressure put upon us, and the future for many may seem uncertain, and the pressure, so, um, the pressure mentally, socially, uh, emotionally, financially is growing, and it's, so, of course, it's very real, and it's changed the pathway and lifestyle of balancing our life addressing our mental health in a big way. So our focus needs to be with our immediate health and well-being. Remember that it's often the little things, the simple things over time that make the greatest difference. The impact upon our health situation will be different for many of us and we'll deal with it in different ways. So I say take a step back, look at what you can do and look at what you've got control of. Focus these on the positives that can come, no matter how small. Value time with people together, and use your time use your time wisely. Face-to-face communication is always best, and focusing on the positives. As practitioners and mediators, family dispute resolution practitioners, I believe it's vital that we keep in check our mental health. So we should be attending to our mental health, um, and that doesn't... It, it can be many things. We need to attend and make sure we're having debrief sessions. We're talking about challenging situations. We've got colleagues we can go to. We've got supervision. We've got networking. We're having downtime. We're not overworking. We're not trying to fit in that extra mediation you know, or, or that extra preliminary conference. We're actually knowing our limitations. You have to remember our clients come to us. They're already broken. They've already got emotionally uh, unstable or they're emotionally vulnerable. They don't need to come to us as mediators and find that that we're tired, we're not switched on, we're not alert, we're aloof. We haven't looked after ourselves. We need to be there to give them our best. In order to do that, we can only do this by practising what we preach. And as a therapist, I always say, take time out. You know your own mind, you know your own body, and you know what you can cope with. So you should know when things are building up. You should know how much you can take. You should be able to look at your diary and say, oh, this is mounting up, I need to take time out. Time out can be a weekend away. It can be have a day off. Time out can be a couple of minutes in the day just sitting in the quiet. You may not feel the diff- You may not feel the clarity or the difference immediately, but if you practice these things over time, you will. I take time out every day. You can lay on, I lay on the floor in my practice and just do small yoga moves, just listen to waves crashing um, with the sounds on, um, on my iPod, uh, things like that. But we need to take time out, but we need to listen to ourselves because our clients come to us and they need us to be sharp and they need us to be on top. It's not the end of the world to take time out, even if it's a few minutes a day. You will feel the benefits in the long run and you'll be able to sustain over time and, have, and remain that clarity of
0: mind. I'm so glad I asked you that question. I'm starting to drift listening to you. <laughs> what a wonderful set of messages for, for everyone, not only mediators. Isn't it so important to recognise that, as you say, a couple of minutes a day or every couple of hours can make or break us long-term? Josephine? Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise, your experience, your knowledge, your wisdom with us. In today's episode, my guest was Josephine burns Luna, a mediator from Sydney. I'll talk to you soon in a new episode of Mediation Today podcast. Goodbye.